925. Here's Joel Blank and that Jeremy Branham guy. I talked to Spencer uh, this past weekend, by the way. Uh, I had to bring in a couple of witnesses to make sure things didn't get out of hand. Uh, Kevin Eschenfelder was there. Tim Brando was there. I brought one from my booth. He brought one from his booth. And we had a little conversation inside the TDECU press box. It went about as expected. Uh, I told Spencer I'm not going to take it easy on him. Spencer said he's not going to take it easy on me. And we shook hands, and we went on our merry way. Speaking of TDECU Stadium, it's family weekend at TDECU, so gather your family and friends and come out to the U of H versus Sam Houston football game. Family four-pack special, four tickets, four hot dogs, four sodas, all for just $60. Individual tickets start at just 20 Get your tickets today. Go to uhcougars.com slash tickets or call 713-GO-COUGS. Don't miss all the pageantry and fun of college football. Come early. Enjoy all the new activities in Cougar Alley in front of TDECU Stadium, including the huge LED TV screen the bud light backyard and more spirit of houston performing at the half entertainment by cheerleaders cougar dogs shasta and sasha come early be loud and wear red collar number seven to honor case Keenum at 713-780-3776 you win a pair of tickets to uh, houston and sam houston this saturday caller seven seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six texans are zero and two Texans do not have their 2024 first-round pick. They do have the Cleveland Browns' 2024 first-round pick. Hopefully the Browns continue to stink. Hopefully the Browns continue to be terrible. Uh, I, don't, I don't root for Nick Chubb injuries. I don't root for other players getting hurt. Maybe Deshaun. But, um, look, the Browns are going to have difficulty winning games now. Their offense took a huge blow yesterday with no Chubb. Deshaun Watson didn't look good. Now, that defense is going to keep them in games. Mm-hmm. Uh, the defense is going to keep them in ball games because they're really, really good. But it has uh, led to a conversation. Josh Beard and I were arguing about this the other day on the Twitter. Are the are the Texans win now or are the Texans rebuilding? Well, I, I think they they force themselves into a corner to win now. Uh, I, I think that the honest to God's truth of looking at the roster is there's no doubt they are rebuilding. And it is going to be a longer process than I think anybody had hoped. Uh, I said embrace the suck for two years and then start the rebuild. That didn't mean that overnight that restarting of the rebuild was going to mean, you know, teetering around the the last playoff uh, wild card spot. But when you make the trade that you made and, you know, and, and it kind of resets the deck and you said it. I mean, we're, we get nauseated having to bring it up or talk about it. But the fact is, it's a factor. And, be, and it's basically your general manager saying that we're going to win some football games this year and we're going to take it to that next level. And I don't believe that they're ready to do that yet. I definitely think that the trade has made them win now. It's unfortunate because I thought that they were doing a pretty good job doing what they needed to do to kind of reload the cupboard. I don't know if I'll give them the, they did a really good job in the first two years. Like, NFL rebuilds don't take all that long, and here we are in year three, and it's like, okay, now we're starting to see some promise. Now there's some, you know, hurdles that were involved. Uh, Kasiri didn't have a first and second in his first year. You you were in cap hell. So you did have some things go against you. Now, I feel like we have this idea of being in Houston where – these NFL rebuilds take like five, seven years. No, no. Like, there's rebuilds that take two or three before you're back in the postseason. And this is year three of Casario, and it's his third head coach. So I don't know if I would say that the Texans were doing a good job with the rebuild. I think it's very like a wash, maybe. Um, it seems like now you have some real talent with Stroud, uh, with Will Anderson. You know, Stingley was last year. Stingley's been really good through first two games. Like, he's not flashy. He's not pat myself on the back, but he's been really good. 
uh, so far through two games. I think the Texans are like in this weird hybrid of rebuild win now because they have a bunch of young players. And the most important thing that the Texans can do is develop those young players, right? Like this isn't the case, but if Davis Mills could win you two more games than C.J. Stroud, you're still not going to play Davis Mills because the most important thing is developing your your young players because C.J. Stroud has top 10 NFL quarterback potential. So you're trying to see him along and try to develop him and groom him to you know achieve that. Same thing with Anderson. Like you, you expect Will Anderson, especially because of what you traded, to be a top 10 edge rusher in the NFL. So the most important thing, like if Jerry Hughes could give you an extra sack or two this year playing ahead of Will Anderson, still doesn't matter because the development of Will Anderson is far greater than Jerry Hughes getting a sack more than Will Anderson. Not saying it would happen, just using that as the example of why you're playing young guys. But the Texans do have to win football games. Like, usually you throw that win now mantra phrase for a team that this team better get to the playoffs. They better get 10 wins. They better be contending for a Super Bowl. That's not the case for the Texans. Like, I'm not saying that the Texans are this rare form of win now where they need to be contending for the playoffs. Their win now is they need to win enough games where the trade that they made on draft day 2023 doesn't look like a fleecing. So it's not win now, get to the playoffs. It's win now so that draft day trade you made a year ago doesn't look like a complete fleece but they do have rebuilding elements because you're playing a lot of young players and development matters more than the wins and losses i love the fact that over the last two drafts that i think that they've added a lot of key pieces to what's going to make this team stay on otherwise uh, otherwise with the exception of the trade stay on the right schedule to do what they needed to do to kind of rebuild the roster, to reshape the roster, to get impact players where you need them, to get players that you drafted later that can contribute to this roster. But you add Pierce, and you add Petrie, and, and you add Harris, and, and 2020 was, was a great find. And, and you've got the guys that you've got. You said it. Stingley looks like night and day like the player that they drafted there for a reason. He may not look as good as Sauce Gardner, but he's doing the part to look what he's supposed to look like. So I think that there's a lot of young players on this roster. They tried to strengthen their offensive line, I, I would think, knowing that they're going to get a quarterback uh, in the draft and that they're going to need to protect him. They need receivers. We know that. But I think that you can get them, and there's going to be some that are going to become available. I just think that the trade changed everything. I, I thought that they were on the right course. I thought that they were doing things correctly. I thought they were adding quality players. And I think the trade just kind of threw everything for a loop. Yeah, it, uh, it puts yourself in a spot where you do have to win a certain amount of games. And I don't know what that, that number is. Like, I guess I could go look at the 10-year history of the NFL and see where certain wins slot you in with the draft. But for me, I don't want to be picking in the top. I'll say five. I'll say five. Like, if you're picking in the top five, I'm not. And, and, and like, we have 15 games to see what Stroud looks like. We still have 15 games to see what Will Anderson looks like. But right now, I feel like if you land in the top five, you don't feel good. Like, you got to win enough games. Win now, not playoffs, not Super Bowl contendership, but win now enough to where you're not a top five pick team in the 2024 NFL draft. And, and there's also, if there's a massive divide between you and the Cleveland pick, too. I, 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 I tend to look at that and compartmentalize the two. Like, I don't feel like you should look at the Cleveland pick because those are two separate things, honestly, in my opinion. Like, whatever Cleveland does, does it give you a softer landing? Does it make you feel a little bit better? I guess. But it doesn't really affect your trade. Well, ideally, you would love to see the Cleveland pick. The Cleveland really suck and really tank, and Deshaun looks terrible, and Chubb's out, and they continue. They just tank and crap the bed to where you get a really high pick from them. But if you have, if, if their pick is four and your pick is second, like, you still lose Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. And the problem that I had all along with this 
was that I thought that you were going to lose a you were going to lose a chance at getting maybe an even more impactful player for your roster than what you got in the trade. And I, I think right now I said it. I was honest, even with the predictions. I thought four, I said four wins. And that might be high. I mean, some people, and you look at some of the different sites that are trying to rank, power rank the NFL, and the Texans are dead last. I think that they're a better team than they are than the Arizona Cardinals and maybe a, a team or two otherwise. But I don't think that they were going to be what everybody got with these grandiose predictions of seven wins, eight wins, nine wins, flirting with right around a playoff caliber team. I just didn't see that roster yet. One, two, six, four. I don't agree that the trade forces them into a win now scenario. You made the trade depending on the performance of Will Anderson or depending on how you see it, the combination of Anderson Stroud, the trade will either be worth it or not. Winning more games this year doesn't put them in a better or worse position. See, I think that's contradicting quite honestly, because part of the trade for Will Anderson was that you gave up next year's first. So the return of you know what you had to give for Will Anderson is heavily influenced by that pick. If that pick could be number one, and even if you're not taking a quarterback, imagine the King's ransom you trade yep. if you trade the number one pick far more than you had to trade for for Will Anderson. Quite frankly, so I, that is that that I, I don't agree with that text at all. Like it's a heavy influence where you land on how we're going to view that trade. So if that is a heavy influence on how we view the trade, and how can we not? That absolutely means that there's a certain amount of wins that you need to get this year, Mm -hmm. which means you're kind of win now. Not necessarily playoffs, not Super Bowl, but win enough games to where you don't get absolutely fleeced. And the other thing, too, is like I understand, like, okay, you get a solid foundation with C.J. Stroud. You get a solid foundation with Will Anderson. Like, I get that. But it's like, I'm going to, you're giving me the option of a $300,000 house now or potentially a $500,000 house the next year. Which of the two would you rather have? Yeah, I think you roll the dice. You could take one or the other of the two guys that you ended up with in this draft. You still had a pick at 12. You had a pick at 33. Your roster was then going to progress more, uh, for the most part, you would think, because of the fact that you were getting quality football players there. And then if you realized, hey, look, it, you know, if you went defense and you didn't go quarterback and you got three other players that are helping you, you know that the chances are going to be good, that there's going to be multiple quarterbacks available in the top 10 picks again to where you have another chance at another guy that maybe you like more. And Anderson's going to develop. But if you went Stroud this year and you know you decided to skip on Will Anderson, you take the other two picks, you do whatever you're going to do with those offensively or defensively, and you realize you could be in the running for a Marvin Harrison Jr. or another impactful player or an offensive someone, another player that could be more impactful, like you said, with more value in the big grand scheme of things. Dr. Dre, Texans gave up that pick to hit a home run in the draft. Don't think the te- that makes the Texans win now. Okay, let's say you don't win a game. Let's say you pick first and you could get four first rounders for Caleb, Caleb Williams. Williams. Do you rather would you rather have four first rounders for Caleb Williams or would you rather have Will Anderson? Like there's still 15 games of information we're going to have on Will Anderson and all of that, but like like I rather have the four first rounders. If so that, that's Arizona, what makes the Texans win now. And and you if you're Arizona and the, and you end up with two top 3 or top two two up four picks Everybody's going to say you got fleeced. Everybody's going to give all the kudos and all the flowers to the Cardinals. Yeah, that's why you got to win now. 713-780-3776. Let's get Gary in here. Gary, you're in the hive. What's up, Gary? Hey, what's up, guys? I um, I I agree with you, but I kind of think you're overthinking it a little bit. Like, I I just think it wasn't a good trade. Like, and that's not determining upon how, you know, Will Anderson turns out. 
Like, the team wasn't close enough to make that trade. Like, we're missing too many pieces, as is evident by our performance on the field and will be evident by our record at the end of the year. Like, the trade, basically, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but that's a trade that a win-now team should make. That trade doesn't make us a win-now team because we're not good enough, right? I think Stroud, like, I think Stroud looks super good. Like, I'm excited about the future. But there wasn't a chance, and you know where, that we were going to be a playoff team this year. It was not happening, and that was not a trade that the Texans should have made. It was just not good from a strategic standpoint. We have too many holes. And, like, that's just how, like, Will Anderson could be really good. But we could also have had three or four different impact players that this team desperately needs. Gary, can I guess that you might think that this is blamed upon one Nick Casario at the end of the day? You must be a psychic. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I I agree with Gary. Sorry to cut you out there, Gary. I agree with him. Like he and he said, they didn't want to put words in my mouth. Those are the words I have. Like the Texans, what the Texans did on draft day were either you're win now or you're trading for a franchise quarterback. And people would say, well, they did. They they trade for Stroud. Well, you could have just drafted Stroud and not drafted Will Anderson. And you talk about the other pieces too. Like I don't think the Texans would have drafted Jameer Gibbs who went 12. They're not going to draft Will Levis who went 33 after they drafted C.J. Stroud. But it could have been Lucas Van Ness, yep. Sam Laporter, and the next year's like second picks, Marvin Harrison Jr. So next year's pick is absolutely part of the equation. Absolutely. That's why they're kind of win now. Because if you win seven games, eight games, which is a little bit more difficult now after you lost to the Colts in a game that many people were chalking the Texans up to win, like if you're picking in the teens, if you're picking 13 or 14, that's not a teen. If you're picking 14, like, okay, whatever. 14, 12 last year, 33 last year for Will Anderson. That's not that, that's not that difficult to swallow. Like, okay, whatever. But if it's 12, 33, and then number two, that's a that's why the amount of wins this year is a huge variable well, in that equation. And look at it too, Jeremy. Look what the Cardinals were doing to the Giants for a majority of that football game. If they show that they can actually win without Kyler Murray and that they can put things together, I mean, then then the Texans could have the number one overall pick. If the Texans gave up the number one overall pick, and we know it's a multi, it, it, I mean. It doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to figure out Caleb Williams is going to be sitting at the top of that draft with a couple of Heismans in his back pocket and everybody looking at, that's your franchise quarterback, and there's no doubt that you're debating between two or three guys. That's the number one pick coming off the board. You could have had him or to take for yourself. You could have had him and traded it for a multitude of picks, but regardless, you could have been sitting in a much, much better position if you just were honest with yourself about what your roster was. 713-780-3776. We got text on this we'll get to. Also, offensive line currently with the uh, the injuries is obviously like the worst position right now. But injuries aside, is the linebacker spot the weakest position on the Texans? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 98. Two five. Mike Holly, U of H class of nineteen ninety. He's been protecting the interests of businesses for nearly twenty five years. He used to protect Heisman Trophy winners in college, and now professionally, he's protecting your business. He's been doing it for almost three decades. HRP provides comprehensive human capital management services, including HR compliance, benefits administration, and payroll. HRP will also work with you to customize a plan for whatever you need. There's nothing cookie cutter about HRP. You need a lot of help, they got you. A little bit of help. 
They got you. Anything in between, HRP will create a plan for what you and your business needs. They'll work with you. They'll customize it. Their customer service is second to none as well. Uh, it's not a stranger on the other side of the line. You'll be calling someone that's familiar with you and familiar with your company. I can speak to their customer service. Anytime I have a question, I always get a quick response that's easy to understand. We just had early enrollment, too, with some of the benefit stuff. Very simple with HRMP. Let HRMP take on the demands of human resources. Eliminate your HR burden so you can get back to growing your business. Give them a call at 281-880-6525 and let HR is that they ran the problem they ran into the Texans uh, talking about are they in a rebuild or they in a win now. I think it's a more I think it's a hybrid of the two. Like you got to win enough so the trade isn't as bad. But you're also developing young players. I mean, you have a rookie quarterback. You're not expected to be a playoff team. His development's really important. Will Anderson's development, really important. Uh, Derek Stingley's development, really important. Petrie, etc. You don't have Kenyon Green. One two zero nine. Problem they ran into was that they had Anderson not just penciled into the roster, but written in Sharpie. Cal comes in late to say take the quarterback, so they have to figure it out late how to keep the guy they wanted all along. I don't know. I don't know the inner workings of it. Problem like. The caveat to this conversation is I love what I've seen from C.J. Stroud through two games, and I think Will Anderson's been really, really good. He was Mm -hmm. a game wrecker in week one. I think the Colts schemed. Oh, I think that they definitely focused on him. Well, I think it's their scheme. I think their scheme is they get rid of the football fast and they don't get their quarterback hit. Like they get rid of it. But they fast also were aware the of football. the fact that he 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 had his way in a lot of ways with Baltimore in Week One. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Now that is a lot of Colts scheme. So I don't like that's like I don't know if Cal McNair came in there and said you must draft C.J. Stroud. Like maybe, maybe not. Well, the, I don't know. I was thinking about that last segment and the fact that remember ESPN leading up to the actual Texans pick. We're convinced they're going to pass on quarterback. They're going to take Will Anderson, and they're going to probably pass on all three quarterbacks with their first pick in the first round. And then, lo and behold, we all were shocked in the fact that they did both. And then there was the rumblings that Cal and the family decided this was the year we had to have a quarterback to turn the corner and change the fan base and do all these different things. You would hope that didn't happen, but you don't know. Yeah, it's I mean, it's difficult. 713-780-3776. 6860. Uh, have you seen the other 0-2 teams? Some pretty good teams are 0-2, and they aren't missing four out of five starters. I think they, the Texans, uh, will win some games and not be in the top ten. Okay, now how many games are we talking about to not be in the top ten? Yeah, That's I, pushing it, I it think. It really is. At this point, 0-2. Especially with a game that you were you, – if you were – if. Everybody who did a, a week by week prediction of the yeah, Texans I had the at, Texans beating the Colts. All three of us. I had, had them at the Colts, seven, yeah. which means that was one of the winnable games. Now you always know there's a game they're going to win that they're not supposed to. We saw that two years ago when they beat the Chargers, but like that would put me at six. Like, what did we say about Carolina? The top. T- I have. I was the only one that had them beat Carolina. Okay. So yeah, you got a chance. Yeah, maybe they, maybe that's a game that they flip. Last I would year, not be, I think they're definitely going to beat Carolina. I, now I looks like now that looks like a much more winnable game. I mean, right now, like if you look on the at the road, like, that's true. But look, the I, they looked really tough. bad last but night. But when are they playing? That's week what? Like nine? That's a lot of time to no, develop. It's, it's definitely a lot of time. But is that a, a lot nat- of people a think quote unquote national is that a Thursday uh, night I think game? It's, I think it's a Sunday nooner. I think all the games for the Texans are Sunday at noon. I think they got they one, one three o'clock game. I think that's oh, it. Oh, I go. thought they had one national game. No, no they didn't get any, didn't get any national games. A, a lot of people think right now that the top five of the draft, that two teams are going to have four of the picks. But the way the NFL season's going already is that the Cardinals will have two top five picks, right. and the Bears will have two top five picks. It wouldn't shock me if it plays out that way. I hope the Texans' pick does not fall in that range. I had them at four wins, and I had them beating the Colts. So if that's the case, then I really had serious doubts. And when we did our whole uh, 
uh, bets about where you know where they were going to be and what what was going to happen. I, I just I didn't have confidence this roster was ready to win yet. That's what bothered me so much about the trade. Yeah, I think just, you need to get to seven wins to have hope that you're not picking in the top ten. Yeah, quite I, frankly, I, I, think seven, I don't think, I don't think it's realistic. I don't think so either. Well, and there's so that means much you have to left. go. I mean, that means you have to go seven and eight, eight in your final fifteen. Yeah, like you got to be a five hundred team almost. In your final 15 games. And, like, you just don't no. know what you're going to And you're see. not going to have your offensive line for about two to three more weeks. Two more weeks, at least. Like, there's a chance that Kyle Murray playing when you play on November 19th. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Obviously, you know Aaron Rodgers won't be here for the Jets when they play in December. So, like, there's so much that's going to change. But the Texans' defense, to me, is why I feel very wrong about my prediction. I just expected that to look better with the way— See, I thought it looked great in the week one. Week Didn't one was good. But the, but so, which one, which one are they? I'm concerned that they're more weak, too. Now, DJ made a good point, too. When you're playing without both your safeties, and then you lose more guys throughout the course of the game. Their linebackers were atrocious, that, that you can make that kind of excuse and say there's hope for them to return and be better. But how much better? But also how much of that, and we'll find out as the season goes on, was that was Baltimore's first game in that brand-new offense. So like, how much of that first game was really – they're adjusting to their first yeah. live action with Todd Munkin as the OC, and you, the Texans defense, benefited from that. And that's where, like, I, I just I think they might be more week two than more week one. That game was concerned. never in peril either. Like, I mean, Baltimore had a comfortable lead really throughout that game. It was never really in jeopardy. But even if you don't know what Munkin's going to bring to the offense, aren't you already scheming for Lamar's going to get out of the pocket? Lamar's going to run. I got to contain him. I got to watch the edges. I got to I got to have a, a spy on him at all times. And so it would be easier to prepare for Indy the following week going, we already prepared for a lot of this with Lamar. We should be at least prepared and ready to go for an Indy team that's probably going to do the same amount of same kind of things. And then I don't think you, they're anything alike. I really don't. I think Baltimore and Indy are very different. I think the fact that they want to run the ball in Indy now a lot because of Steichen, but I think that the fact that you have a, a very athletic quarterback that wants that wants to run and you can say whatever you want the about similarities Lamar. in there though. Like they they're very different offensively. Okay. They, they, I mean, Baltimore is going to go a lot of three wide. Indy's going to go a lot of twelve personnel. Like they're, I mean, I think they're very. But different. in terms of your front seven and trying to make sure you contain the quarterback and and prevent against the run and and, and do the things that you were preparing to do with Lamar, I would think that that was similar to what they were going to anticipate doing with Richardson, who's probably going to run more than Lamar. Eh, I mean, Baltimore, when you have you have eleven personnel, you're going to be in a lot more nickel coverages, and then whenever you play the Colts and a lot of twelve personnel, you're going to be in a lot of base so i think it's very different uh lamont a, a game that can flip is the jets i think that's a good call uh seven eight seven one this trade will go down as one of the worst in league history it's what happens when an owner or a coach get involved in long-term strategy around roster building although it wouldn't surprise me if it was casario's doing either um and that's why the pick matters like if it lands 12th you can live with it because you're giving up the 12th pick 12th pick 33rd pick for will anderson but if it's one you're giving up one twelve thirty three for Will Anderson. Whenever you have a once in a generation player at the top, you might have more than a once in a generation player in this draft too. Like if you believe in Drake May, if you believe in Marvin Harrison, there's you also, might have three. There's also like two franchise left tackles in this draft: the kid from Penn State and then the one from Notre Dame. So like, yeah. like the, the kid the, from Penn State's the one that stayed. He was going to yeah. come out last year. The nope. top of this draft is is pretty solid one through five. Like you're not just missing out on. The ability to trade away the pick and give up on and, and for Caleb Williams or Nick Marvin would, Harrison. Nick now wouldn't have, have made the trade if there was a guard available in the top five. <sighs> That's true. If Quentin Nelson was would available, like to yeah. have Jordan Davis, huh? 
could have had Jordan Davis with that pick. Uh, I think I like Will Anderson more. No, 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 no. Jordan Davis was the pick that you had when you traded Kenyon down. Green. Oh, yeah. drafted I, 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 Kenyon Green. You're thinking Jalen Carter. No, who's the kid from Florida State that's coming out this year? Jared Verse. Jared Verse, yeah. yeah. Jared Verse is another guy who could have stayed in the draft. I know, and, and he left. And it's weird. Uh, pessimistic Chad, the Texans obviously overpaid to get the guy they wanted to Anderson, but week two is way too early for these these critiques. That's not very pessimistic of pessimistic Chad. You got to start. But I mean, where the Texans land in the draft is going to be a topic of conversation the entire year. year. The entire year. And Caleb Williams is a guy who could give you a king's ransom if the pick landed at number one. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a guy that I would love to have to pair with C.J. Stroud in that that receiving room, especially in today's day of the NFL, where offenses win championships. The old cliche, defenses win titles, it's false. That's debunked. It's no longer true. Offenses win titles. (laughs) They had a lot of success. That might help with timing and chemistry. All right, I got to dip out. What are you guys going to talk about uh, coming up? Bingo. That's a, that's a circle of dust. Ah, circle of dust. Uh, what is your circle of dust with 11 games left to go? Blinkers and Joe carry you the rest of the way. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Place to be on Saturday night in TDECU Stadium. Cougars look to get back on track as they take on the Sam Houston Bearcats in a college football showdown. It's the perfect way to kick off your weekend with some family fun. Get our exclusive family four pack it is family weekend so get the family four pack for an unforgettable experience you receive get this four tickets four hot dogs four sodas all for just 60 dollars. where else can you find family entertainment that's going to feed you for just 60 bucks four tickets four hot dogs four sodas all for just 60 dollars. get your tickets today head over to uhcougars.com slash tickets or call 713 go cougs if you don't have a family maybe you're single Individual tickets, $20 as well. UHCougars.com slash ticket 713-GO-COOGS. Come early and enjoy all the new activities in Cougar Alley in front of TDECU Stadium, including the huge LED TV screen, the Bud Light Backyard, Coke Fan Fest, and more. I went out and took a look at that stuff before our game this past week. Went to watch DJ James Kennedy. Outstanding spot before a game. You can watch the college football games on that huge LED TV screen. You can have a nice drink, too, at that Bud Light Backyard. Get your tickets today. Go to UHCougars.com slash tickets or call 713-GO-COOGS. Come early. Brad, I'm doing a little Willie Nelson hitting the road to make sure that uh, he beats some traffic and gets uh, to some of his duties with the Cougs. So I've got my good friend Joe George. I use that term loosely. But uh, Joey G and me for the rest of the show and then the Joey G experience from 6 to 7 if you just can't get enough of all of the enticing opinions that are Joe George. Joseph. All my bad takes. Yeah, I mean, there's people that'll tell you about that. Not me. I'm always positive with you, no matter how much you never side with me and always side with Branham. I, I, I do believe the fact that I told you in the break, I enjoyed listening to you when we left uh, Apollo Men's Health in League City yesterday on the road home. So, I appreciate that. Thank you. As my voice cracks like a two-year-old. Yeah. So what I was thinking about doing here is, uh, by the way, Astros lineup out. Uh, Michael Brantley out. They're saying that he's experiencing soreness. That's not good. People. Got reaction. He's done. I, you know me, you know, I, I never even gonna, was going to believe that he was going to play. I wouldn't use his name till he did. Then he started playing really well. But the one thing we know about the Astros and their PR department, and if it's not discomfort when it's soreness and it's Michael Brantley, it doesn't normally end well. And that is giving me reason for concern. It just feels bad that the way the rehab, the first rehab stint went, he was playing well. He was playing outfield. He was playing first base. That he was hitting the ball really well, and then all of a sudden, the shoulder flared up, 
and he was out again for a couple Remember, they were like ready to call months. him up. He was yes. traveling with the team. He was going to play. I think it was in Boston. And then all of a sudden, something happened on that flight or whatever happened once he left Sugarland, and that was it. They were shutting him down for a while again. Yeah, so I hope that this isn't what we're seeing now, but it's just it's hard not to see that this season, going back to what Jeff Bagwell said before the year that he'd be ready for opening day, that it feels like once again – Michael Brantley's shoulder is not going to hold up, and he's not going to be able to play again. It just it's it's weird because like it, it gave you this like glimmer of hope. We got that mm-hmm. one that one Sunday of a death lineup, and we might never see it again because it's just will Michael Brantley play? Will Einar Diaz ever play again? It feels like he's barely out there. It's it's just disappointing. And now it's hard it just to get feels like it. even if Yiner plays, that he, he he's his sharpness is going to continue to dull with every time that he's still sitting there wasting away. <clears throat> Excuse me, when you could <clears throat> be using him more when you need every game. And, and I think that to your point on Brantley, the, the realistic thing that when you look at this is it's one thing to ask the question: Is he going to play again? And and, and how worried you can be when you hear that he's had some soreness. But the one thing for sure is he's not coming back next year. They they just can't go through this again. There's just too many different ways you can spend money to get a guy that can be more available and maybe not be as effective overall as a hitter, but be good enough to be a better acquisition that gives you more throughout the 162 than you got from Michael Brantley. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any way you can look forward to next year as we get to the end of the season and think Michael Brantley's part of it. Like, at, at best, at best, Michael Brantley has to be a two, three million dollar player. Jake Myers has to be replaced. With Chaz McCormick as your everyday center fielder, and Michael Brantley is like the fourth guy off the bench that you only expect to play one every five games, one every four games. You just can't go into next season with any hopes or expectations that he's going to be in the lineup next year every day, or you're setting your team back once again. Now, in that scenario, Joe, look, I, I don't think you have to get rid of Jake Myers, but you just have to be, everybody has to be cool with the fact that Jake Myers is your Jake Marisnik. Like, he's not going to be anything more than that. He's not your center fielder of the future. He's not anything like James Click touted him to be. But I also think on the on the other angle of that, in the scenario you painted out, I totally agree. Chaz McCormick should be your starting center fielder from day one for all of next season. But guess who's not going to do that? If Dusty's back, I think you got a hard time, and it's, you're going to be hard-pressed getting that accomplished when it seems like that's the no-brainer right move to make. I, I, I tend to agree. I just don't think Dusty will be back. But I think I do think what Todd the show just said here is interesting is Chaz will be left field next year. I'm I'm good with that. Bring Jordan's your DH. Bringing in yeah, Jordan's your DH, Chaz is in left, and you bring in a new center fielder through free agency that actually knows how to play defense unlike Mauricio Dubon and can be as good as Dubon with the bat. And like Yiner's your starting catcher. Yes, that's that would be great next year. If Chaz is in left, you have a new center fielder that's not Jake Myers. And and Diaz is your catcher, Jordan's your DH. That sounds awesome to me. That lineup, I have no problems with. That's what they try to roll out next year. I just don't think next year you can plan on having Michael Brantley be a big part of your left field DH spot. You shouldn't have Jake Myers part of this equation. He's your fourth outfielder. And frankly, I don't think Mauricio Dubon should be anything besides your filling guy. I totally agree with that. I still think it's absolutely bizarre that he continues to be the personal center fielder of Justin Verlander. And in a lot of ways, so much more for Dusty Baker. He's not good, and he's not. But people have this false, you know, this false conception that hey, this dude can really play no matter where they play him, and they all think that he's hitting like he was when he filled in so valiantly for Altuve for the first thirty plus games or whatever it was to start the season and the first half of the season when he was flirting a lot of the times with three hundred. But he's fallen off. 
And, he and was I, awesome. It's a great story, but it's just it's yeah. not. He's not that guy. And we all, I think we all knew it. Like when we did our our mid season awards, I said Dubon first half MVP, and I I meant that genuinely because he carried so much weight for no the doubt. Astros where Altuve is out. But he's just he's not that guy. He hasn't been that guy since Altuve returned. Maybe it's because he doesn't play every day. Like I don't know if that is a factor for him, but. He is a backup infielder. Myers is a backup outfielder. And when you look at next year, you're going to have to allocate your resources differently. And whether Michael Brantley is going to play again this year or not, he just can't be part of that picture. Because if James Click and the Blue Jays wanted Jake Myers yesterday, they could have him to me. You know, I think that he looks to me to be, and last night maybe a microcosm of it, no matter what he looks like, no matter what, you know, he, he tests out athletically to be. He is what he is. He looks like he's, you know, Jeremy calls him aloof, and and a lot of people call him a lot worse than that. The fact of the matter is he always looks like a deer in the headlights to me. He always looks like, and since the injuries, it's even been worse in terms of what he's not given you as opposed to what was expected of him. And on the flip side, Chaz has given you so much more, and Chaz quietly has been more consistent in doing this in multiple years than most people give him credit for, he deserves the opportunity to be a starting outfielder for you. I'd prefer him to be in center field. And I would prefer that you still have a DH opportunity with Jordan in left, and then Yiner can be, because I don't think with Verlander and Frommer at the top of that rotation, I don't think they're going to be without a veteran catcher one way or the other. And I still think that you're going to get a Verlander and and, and Frommer, depending on his psyche and who he, who they get and who they could possibly get to work with him, that those guys are still going to probably be looking for someone that can kind of work with them and be a benefactor to them the way that Maldi is. I agree, and I think there's still a chance that Maldi's that guy. I do too. And with a new manager, that Maldi is catching those guys primarily and Yiner is playing the other days. I'd be fine with that, but also Yiner Diaz has to catch Fromber and Justin Verlander at some point. At no some doubt. point, like the keys are going to be handed to him or another catcher, and Yiner Diaz is going to well, be a first baseman. So, like, at some point, you have to think forward as a franchise. And I understand that JV and Fromber might want to have a, a more veteran guy, but the keys to a kingdom have to be passed over behind the plate. I got to believe he's got to catch the majority of the bullpen sessions and the times that those guys pitch in spring training next year. You've got to start working with the having discussions with them on saying, look, this is our guy. This is the guy you're going to be throwing to. So it's in everybody's best interest to start working out the kinks and figuring out how it's going to work best. But it's got to work. And, and I think that Verlander specifically is going to probably have a little pushback. I think Fromber, because he work, he has worked with, to some degree, Yiner. And I think Yiner doesn't get enough credit for the fact that he's gotten better in terms of being able to reach the pitchers and get them to calm down and understand that, hey, don't lose it here. That was close. That's good. And he frames it better than people give him credit for, too, to where I think Fromber's going to be less of an issue. I think JV's going to be the biggest issue. Where a veteran catcher who obviously gets one catcher every week or so. I think it's going to be JV starts, and I think they're going to get a veteran for JV, whether it's Maldi or somebody that's, else. That's cool with me because yeah, I don't want Yiner Diaz catching seven days a week also. So no, like, that's the other thing. That's why I want to leave the DH spot kind of open in left field so that you can move, you, you can leave it and, and have Jordan start the year in left, but in that game or two that Yiner isn't catching, you still have his bat in the lineup because I think it's too valuable in the middle of that lineup. Yeah, I, I, the one thing I just I hope for the Astros at some point is that they just tell the players, hey, this is what we're going to do, and you're going to listen to us. Like, I, Jordan, I don't care if you want to play in left field. You are a you are an injury risk 
when you're out there. You need to be the DH. Fromberg, JV, Yiner Diaz is the catcher of the future on this team. He needs to catch you guys on a consistent basis so we know what we have. And if it's a problem, we'll address it later. But, like, the it's the one change that eventually when Dusty Baker is no longer here that I, I really hope we see that the players don't just get their way all the time because Dusty gets the blame for a lot of this stuff. But frankly, it seems like it's the players who are kind of demanding who and who is not, you know, catching them or playing in center field and all that stuff just needs to go. Am I wrong for saying that I truly believed as much as everybody thought it was a joke that there has to be something to Verlander's personal center fielder being Dubon? It's just happened way too frequently for me to not believe that there's some validity to it. it. Dusty always goes back to the arm strength thing, but I just don't feel like Dubon's based on what my eyes tell me. I'm not going to like go through the deep dive and the analytics for it, but what, what my eyeballs tell me is that Dubon's arm is not that much better. I don't think it than is. Like Chaz than Chaz And look, Jake's is, is a, a wet noodle, but I, I believe that Chaz's arm is, is maybe a slightly less than Dubon, but it isn't like an insurmountable difference when you think of everything else that Chaz brings to the table as opposed to Dubon. So, all right, uh, we're going to continue to roll on. we got one segment to go on the show. We promised we were going to get to the circle of dust. We'll get to a little of that. We've got Wheel of Bits coming as well. So we're going to wrap the show up in style, and then we're going to turn it over to, well, no, I mean, he didn't get enough time today, so he would have picketed it if he didn't get it. But Joe will still be out front with his picket sign until he takes over at 6 o'clock to, to go a full hour of the Joe George experience, and that should be fun too. So we're going to be back with more. It's the Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 FM. And before we go to the break, I do want to tell you about the good people at Apollo Men's House. Look, we were at their new third location yesterday in League City. Daco does a great job of catering to the people of Houston in a lot of different ways. He wants you to feel better. He wants you to know from the boardroom to the weight room to the bedroom, if you have issues and aren't your normal self or don't feel like you once did, he can get you back there again. He also makes it more convenient for you to get to him so that he and his staff can help you. He's got League City covered now as well as two locations near downtown Houston to better serve you. And the fact is that they do serve you when they're there. They make sure that you are comfortable, that you are going to be in an environment where you can be honest with them and that when you let them know what's bothering you and where you're falling short, they can find a way to get you to feeling great again and getting the results that you are expecting on a daily basis. It could be everything from a workout program to losing weight to recovering quicker in the gym to all the different ways they have hormone therapy, B12 shots, and ways to have more energy on a daily basis. New FDA-approved semi-glutide is now available. That means you could lose up to six pounds in a week, every week, and you don't have to work out at all. It's possible. It's there. They can tell you how. And, of course, all the different ways that you could get more energy, like a B12 shot. You mentioned my name on your first visit. You can get a B12 shot and see in a week's time if you felt more energy from week to week. If you want to recover quicker and you want to see all your results when you're in the gym, well, then why don't you do a body composition analysis that is also free when you mention my name, and you will find out that you can chart your progress and results, make sure those good numbers are going in the right direction, like your body fat numbers are going down, your muscle mass is going up, and all the other numbers are making sense. They take care of you every step of the way. Check out their website, ApolloMH.com, and set up an appointment. One segment left to go in my portion of the show. Jeremy Branham had to skip out a little bit early. Joe George can't get enough of can't getting enough of the microphone time. So Joe George making sure that he doesn't have to pick it the rest of the night and fight for his right to get airtime. So he will take you from six to seven with enjoyable nuggets of information, Astros and other things. But Joe, we teased it, we talked about it, we talked about it earlier in the show, so let's get to it. We know there were issues last night. We know that we had problems with both Rafael Montero and Ryan Presley. We discussed throughout the show, are you good with Presley still being your closer? And what do you feel about Montero? And Jeremy, you know, 
rightly so, brought up the fact that these two guys are making a boatload of money to be two guys in two innings that gave up five runs, and, and, and Presley has been struggling lately. So we know that Dusty has kind of pushed Montero throughout the second half of the season into more and more of a prevalent role because it, it just seemed to me throughout his expectation was when they got into the playoffs, Montero was going to have one of those four key trustable positions at the back end of the bullpen. With Presley struggling, with Montero being a guy that Dusty wants in there, what does your circle of dust look like now with 11 games to go in the season? Assuming health, Abreu is number one, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and you want to put him in the closer? Closer or just against the best guys. Okay. Like, I'll take... Right. High, it, highest it's level. kind of a way out of, like, answering the question, to be honest. But, like, if if the best guys for the Rangers or Mariners are going to be up in the eighth, that's when I want Abreu to be there. And then I want Presley to face the next three. Whatever order that comes, whether it's the eighth or the ninth inning, that, that's when I want Abreu on the mound against the best guys. So it's Abreu one, it's Presley two, it's Naris three... And now I don't know because I, it would have been Montero until last night. But last night was a shaky, shaky performance. I'm really not high on Graveman either right now. So I think I still lean Montero as the next guy, and then it's Graveman. I'm going to give you a wild card, Joe George, because I don't disagree with you on the top three. But I, I have them in different order. I, I just think that from the you know how we talk about Peña where he feels most comfortable in the two hole and we can't really put a finger on it but that normally when he's in the two hole he hits a lot better and, and that it means something i think with presley being the closer i think you run the risk if you pull him now this late in the season from being your closer that you mess, mess with his psyche and that's not something that you can do right now i, I don't think towards the end of the season you can mess with the closer's psyche and then expect that he's going to do whatever role you have for him going for the postseason I believe that Abreu, as much as I doubted him and I really questioned his mental uh, intestinal fortitude and the fact that he had a lot of self-inflicted wounds early in his career, putting runners on base and then not being the same pitcher when he did, I believe that he has proven himself to be a back-of-the-bullpen guy. And, and I, I think that you can still do what you were saying, but definitely not take the closer away, roll away from Presley in a lot of ways. But I think Presley's still my number one. I think, I think that uh, Abreu is, is two. I think Naris is no doubt three. And I think that the, the, the wild card I'm going to throw into you here, Joe, is the fact that there's going to be a really, really important rehab stint that's going on in Sugarland with one Ryan Stanek. It's going to be interesting because it felt like last year, you know, they looked at the analytics, which were that no matter what Stanek's ERA was, too many guys were on base and he was getting out of jams. But come playoff time, they didn't want someone like Stanek on the mound who was walking a ton of guys in the regular season Run last the year. setting the table. So they just, like, completely avoided him. And, like, right. will they do that again? I don't know. But if he looks good in the rehab starts, like, he's he, he's got to be a big factor Until in he equation. got hurt, he was pitching what, probably better than he had pitched all season long. And, and he was pitching better. And I think that, because I, I'm with you, look, I've, I have never trusted Montero to be back in the in, in the Final Four. And so that bothered me as it was. And I know that his numbers started to improve, but he wasn't, it was where, it was who he was facing and when he was getting some of the numbers that he got. But I look at it and say, I don't trust Graveman right now either. I, I love the trade when they got Graveman back because I loved when Graveman was here the first time. And I thought Graveman could be that again. But now I have serious doubts. And I think the wild card is Stanek because if Stanek proves that he's still got a plus plus fastball and that's splitty, and if that splitty is effective, 
then you've got a guy that I might trust more than anybody else because of the struggles, not maybe as much as the merits of him, as much as everybody else has faltered. Maton has faltered no matter how good of a first half he had. Maybe he threw too much and had too many appearances. But for whatever the reason, I think Stanek might be needed more this year than he was a year ago, and he might be the guy that factors into that number four spot. He absolutely does. It's a big factor. It's a big question. And I think the ultimate wild card in all of this is how the rotation shakes out and then how much faith Dusty Baker has in, you know, let's say it's Hunter Brown. Like, we expect it, like, coming off five no-hit innings. Let's see what he looks like tonight against the Orioles. This is a massive start for him. Like, if he's really good tonight, I think he solidifies himself in the rotation. Does Javier at some point become a bullpen arm? Again, like, and like, so how he's do those been guys there, done that, in? but I, I just don't know. I can't see Dusty not giving Javier the number three spot. I think a lot, a lot rides on tonight. If Hunter Brown is really good tonight versus the Orioles, that's the key. Yeah, that's the key to me because last start to this start, the biggest difference is going to be he's facing a really, really good lineup on a really good team. If he can do and duplicate similar to what he did for five innings of no hit baseball, wasn't it that his last time out? Mm-hmm. Then you've got a guy that factors into the discussion again that I had completely written off. I just felt he was going to be one of your bullpen guys in a lot of ways because I I believed that JP France was going to be able to keep going what he's been doing all year, and he hasn't. No, I th- I think JP France is on like roster watch at Thin this ice. point because you know, Dana Brown said on the flagship over the weekend that. Um, Jose Arquiti might spell Hunter Brown or J.P. France. Well, he said the young guy, so I'm assuming he's talking yep. about those two. Yep. I think that really means J.P. France. And Arquiti, like, he's going to be back in the bullpen for the playoffs. I think that's very much a sure thing. If you're going to demote one guy off the playoff roster and have them be taxi squad, I do think it's leaning heavy towards J.P. France. Well, you know why? That's the stuff. Which is crazy after this entire season that it has gotten to this point so quickly that the stuff isn't there, and he's just not performing well. That, we like, know that of the two, uh, of all three guys, the best stuff is the stuff that you get from a, a guy like Hunter Brown has an unbelievable fastball and slider combination. We know the fact that when you're talking about a J.P. France, the fastball isn't quite there, and, and it doesn't have the kind of movement and the effectiveness when Javier's on his game. And the, the the secondary pitches too. We know the 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 lights out slider when he throws it effectively that Hunter Brown has. So I, I think that this, in terms of just the the repertoire and the arsenal that comes to the table, I think France is third. But the effectiveness was there all year. If it's not there anymore, then you got to take that into consideration. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Like I, if Hunter Brown can like make the move today, it's going to be really interesting to see like what they do going forward. Because I just I honestly believe that Hunter Brown. Is is going to be an elite guy long term? I just I really hope that his last start was a sign of him just like returning to what we all hoped he could be. I'm not asking for no hit stuff tonight, but like he's got to keep the Orioles in check. It's got to be a quality start or at least five innings of keeping them in the ball game, three runs or less. You would ideally like to say you know a one or two runs at the most, uh, and look in control of his pitches. Because we know some of the things, the bugaboos that he's been dealing with are seriously around his control and his ability to kind of stay focused and stay dialed in, especially early in games. Because in the first three innings of two of his last three starts, he's been awful. So you want to do wheel of bits before we get out of here? We got time? No, we got to run. Okay, we got to run. All right, guess gonna, what? I'll, I'll give you my question. Okay, go. Uh, 0-2 team to not make the playoffs, Bengals or Chargers? Bengals, because of Burroughs' cap. Ooh. 
I think it's the Chargers. I think it's Burroughs Calf versus the coaching staff of the Chargers. I'm obviously also pot committed towards the Bengals. Yes, you are. Good. You have to be. So, yeah. Y'all, it's been a great, uh, fun experience. It's always nice to switch chairs with a half hour to go on the show and get to share some time with Joe George. But now you get overload of Joe George as he'll take you from six to seven uh, coming up next. So don't go anywhere. Plenty more going on right now. But for the Killer Bees, for Jeremy, for Joel, for Joe, whether he does the hard work or not, we're all a team. We're all here together. And we'll be back tomorrow. So hopefully you will be too. Have a great night, Houston.